Holland and now Canada seeking to ruin their farmers. What is going on? Hey everybody, so good to be back with you. We are coming back off of a one week timeout. More on that in just a second, which is why I am titling this episode, Things I Can Safely Say on YouTube. We'll talk about what happened there in just a second, but we did get a strike and we were out of commission for a week. So we gotta be, we gotta watch our uh, words going from here on out. Now, this is what I wanna talk to you about today. What is this war on farmers? all about what is going on we're going to look at this give you some context help you understand what this thing is by the way if you have not been hearing about this that's because your media is failing you this is really extraordinary what's going on in the world and how serious these farmers are about defending their livelihoods and of course the first thing the media does with things like this is they suppress that information they don't really talk about it. it's kind of awkward it makes the ruling leaders look bad and they get all their money from them so that's how that all connects Trudeau, look at this, up there in yellow, Trudeau has decided to move forward with his cap on nitrogen emissions by reducing fertilizer use, even as provincial agricultural ministers beg him to stop. There's the link down there. Let's look at this real quick, but first as a reminder, being hungry is not cool. There are only nine meals between mankind and anarchy. According to Alfred Henry Lewis, 1906, he said that, so let's look at Trudeau's climate emergency that's driving this right now. Let me get my, my handy-dandy drawing tool out here first. Move this over a tiny bit. Get this out. All right. Um, so what we got here in yellow, as per a government of Saskatchewan news release, both Alberta and Saskatchewan ministers of agriculture have expressed profound disappointment in Trudeau's decision to attempt to reduce nitrogen emissions from fertilizer. We're really concerned with this arbitrary goal, Saskatchewan Minister of Agriculture David Merritt said. The Trudeau government has apparently moved on from their attack on the oil and gas industry and set their sights on Saskatchewan farmers, end quote. Wow, sounds a lot like Biden in the United States, attacking the people who are most responsible for filling out the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs for you. That's your shelter, your food, your water, your warmth. We're, what is with attacking the people who provide those things? It's a mystery to me. Um, at any rate, uh, the agriculture minister for Alberta said, quote, this has been the most expensive crop anyone has put in. Following a very difficult year on the prairies, the world is looking for Canada to increase production and be a solution to global food shortages. The federal government needs to display that they understand this. They owe it to our producers and to the citizens and the whole rest of the world. In purple down below, as previously reported by the countersignal in December of 2020, the Trudeau government unveiled their new climate plan with a focus on reducing nitrous oxide emissions from fertilizer by 30% below 2020 levels by 2030. So that's pretty fast. That's just a 10 year level. And well, it's already 2022 late, it's plastic season. It's like just seven more years. That plan is now coming into effect, though the government refuses to acknowledge that nitrous oxide emissions can be reduced without drastically reducing fertilizer use and thus crop production, end quote. What is going on here? Who wants to reduce fertilizers at this point in time? By the way, a lot of things you could do if you wanted to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. This is something that you say you're concerned with. Obviously, in the United States, we have John Kerry, private jetting all over the world to tell people how important it is for you to take cold showers and for you to maybe eat, not meat or something like that. But look at this, like this is crazy, crazy time, right? So here we are, 
this was in the news just recently. I don't know if you saw it. Get rid of this. I find it distracting. Um, oh, missed it. Yeah, Kylie Jenner's 17-minute private jet trip is a climate disaster. She's hardly the only one percenter flying private. Took a jet to go for 17 minutes. It would have been like a 40-minute car ride or something like that. Can't do that, right? So meanwhile, uh, we're seeing here that jets at private plane usage has soared of late, right? As a result here, uh, last year there were 3.3 million private flights around the world, the most on record. This is 7% higher than the previous high set in 2019 with U.S. and Europe leading that growth. And by the way, a quick search of the news finds out that Trudeau has said nothing about private jets and their impact on climate change. Of course. Of course he didn't. In fact, uh, he's been criticized heavily. So he used, uh, Prime Minister used the jet for family vacations, emitting as much CO2 as a, as a family might in an entire year just to take that trip. So why is it that we see this over again and over again and over again, this behavior where Team Elite, Trudeau representing that team, says, you know, of all the things we could do about climate change, we gotta get this, we gotta get the fertilizer down. Let's get the fertilizer use down. We don't know anything about farming, and all our agricultural ministers are screaming at us, but let's do that. We're not gonna say anything about those private jets, because you know, my friends fly them, I fly them. Be a little awkward if I had to say something about that. So, gosh, might expose my hypocrisy. So instead, let's go after farmers. Okay, now this is a really awkward time to be going after farmers. Why? Look at these food prices. There, and this is just extraordinary what's happening with food prices around the world. A lot of this is due to shortages as well. We have the whole situation in Ukraine going on. We have really bad harvest coming in in a bunch of places. And we still don't know the overall impact of what's going to happen because fertilizer use was heavily reduced already by farmers just due to prices. As we saw, as I've been presenting on this program for many months, fertilizer went up explosively in price this year due to natural gas input feedstocks, due to supply chain disruptions for phosphates and potassium, stuff like that. So that's where we are. By the way, I thought Ethical Skeptic on Twitter put it pretty well, the second wave. Let's make sure, let, let's not do that. I mean, we wouldn't want that, would we? I mean, I, we should be doing everything possible to encourage farmers right now to do everything they can to increase their production, not at this particular moment saying, you know, now would be a great time to just bring down the climate change law on this subsector of everything. And by the way, let's talk about this real quick. And uh, first up, uh, before we go there, I did mention we did get censored, meaning we had an informed consent, which is a live cast episode that Evie and I had done a number of weeks ago. That one got labeled as misinformation and it was taken down, but we got a warning off of that. And then the very next episode, oh, and by the way, if you ever want to follow us and you want to make sure that you don't miss something because we've been censored, and I don't know, someday we may just find this channel taken down completely. It could happen. To avoid losing out on following me, come on over to peakprosperity.com. We got great tribe of people there. We'd love to have you. We've got a variety of memberships. Peak Insider, our most popular one there. Then reason I wasn't on last week is because we actually got a strike. That means no content for a week. Bad boy, you're in timeout. They put us on the stairs and we had to sit there for a whole week. Uh, and this too was for medical misinformation. And this one was actually, the title of this one was Farmer Rebellion, but we did cover some of the things 
that I don't even know if I can say the director of the National Institute of Infectious Disease and Allergies. I don't even know if I can say the name. I don't know what I can say and can't say anymore. I don't know. Other people seem to be able to talk about these things. This channel seems to have a target on it. We talked about a few things. I reviewed the transcript. There's nothing in there that isn't already part of the official record, but somehow it's medical misinformation when it's coming from this mouth versus a lot of other ones. So, hey, if you don't want to uh, miss out on this channel, and by the way, if we ever just go dark, it's not because I'm not producing content. Come on by Peak Prosperity. You'll always find me there. I'm always doing stuff. Here's how you follow me. Take a screenshot up top, peakprosperity.com. There's the membership link. You can follow me on Twitter, at Chris Martinson. Also, I'm increasingly going to be putting my stuff on a platform called Sovereign.media. That's like that's like uh, Google.com.media, Sovereign.media. That is Ben Swan's amazing platform he's building. Going to be censor-proof. I'm putting a lot behind that one. I actually really enjoy it a lot. You'll see more about that coming up. Odyssey, Rumble, uh, Chris underscore Martinson in both cases. You can find me there as well. All right. But remember, when it comes to the whole pharma thing, the Dutch government did this first, right? And so what was going on? Why did the Dutch government, and by the way, that's still ongoing. The Dutch farmers are very unhappy. They understand this is existential. They are not backing down because if they lose this battle, they lose their farms, they lose their livelihoods. And they also know that the government's going to do a really poor job of running this whole thing just based on what they know about the government. All right. So what is it all about? It's about this thing, which is a plan that's likely going to force farmers to cut their livestock herds or stop work altogether. In many cases, if you have to cut your herd, you're no longer efficient. You can't operate or you don't have enough profits. You're out. So they're going to have to cut not just fertilizer use, but their farm stock animal herds. Why? Because, quote, the government says emissions of nitrogen oxide or nitrous oxide, I think they're trying to say, and ammonia, which livestock produced, must be drastically reduced to close, reduced close to nature areas that are part of a network of protected habitats for endangered plants and wildlife stretching across the 27-nation European Union. Quote, freedom of speech and the right to demonstrate are a vital part of our democratic society, and I will always defend them, Mark Rutte uh, said, the, the leader over there in Holland. But... It's not acceptable to create dangerous situations. It is not acceptable to intimidate officials. We will never accept that. Pro tip, whenever somebody's saying something and they use the word but, you can ignore everything they said prior to the but. It's irrelevant. It's meaningless. So when he said here, uh, freedom of speech rights to the demonstrate are a vital part of democratic society. I will always defend them, but <laughs> you can throw all that out. It doesn't count. Whoop, out the window. What he's really saying and what he wants to say is it's not acceptable to create dangerous situations. It's not acceptable to intimidate officials. We will never accept that. What he didn't say is that's for us to do to you. Our police will intimidate the citizens. Government will intimidate the citizens because, of course, Mark Rutte stands for tyranny. Tyranny is when the people fear the government. Liberty is when the government fears the people. We're a little out of balance in that whole thing. Mark Rutte explaining that perfectly. So thank you for that. But, <laughs> all right, what is the government proposing in green? Quote, the ruling coalition wants to cut emissions of pollutants, predominantly nitrogen, oxide, and ammonia by 50% nationwide by 2030. Ministers call the proposal an unavoidable transition. It aims to improve air, land, and water quality. Unavoidable. It's a done deal. It's, it's inevitable. 
That's always what tyrannical governments want to make things seem like it's just inevitable. Hey, you won't have any privacy. You just have supposed to shrug and go, oh, that's, I guess that was inevitable, right? It's just how they want to make it seem. So when we look at this here, they're saying ministers call the proposal an unavoidable transition. Unavoidable. It's going to happen. All right. So uh, Russell Brand, he, a number of uh, weeks ago, said that this, you know, there's a theory out there going on that this is actually a move to bankrupt farmers so that their land can be grabbed, can be purchased by other players out there in the world. This is an idea, whether it's true or not, is beginning to circulate widely, and this is going to create a lot of hardened resistance amongst groups of people who are pushing back. So if you want to know what the farmer mindset is, it's a little bit like this. The WF has revealed plans to buy up farmland from Dutch farmers who are bankrupted by climate change policies. Ta-da! This was never about climate change, only societal change, eyes wide open. All right, <clears throat> but let's look at this now a little bit more closely. It turns out, and this is according to the US EPA, that in 2020, nitrous oxide, which is N2O, two nitrogen atoms and an oxygen, N2O, accounted for about 7% of all US greenhouse gas emissions from human activities. Human activities such as agriculture, fuel combustion, wastewater management, blah, 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 blah. 7% means 93% had nothing to do with this. So, huh, how, do, how would you reduce that? Well, examples they, they helpfully gave for how to reduce nitrous oxide emissions would be um, the application of nitrogen fertilizer accounts for the majority of N2O emissions, so those emissions can be reduced by reducing nitrogen-based fertilizers. By the way, nitrogen-based fertilizers are responsible for most of the yields in the world. If we took nitrogen-based fertilizers out of the equation, yields across the world would probably fall 30%, mass starvation, famine, horrible. Now, they're not saying we have to stop it by 100%, but they are saying 50% cuts in fertilizer use. You do the math, it's not really good. All right, so is this really the place where you, you know, isn't this kind of a strange place to drop the climate change hammer? Like, let's start somewhere, let's show we're serious. Let's begin with, let's begin with farms and, and their nitrous oxide. Okay, but let's do a little math on this. So by the numbers, Canadian GHG emissions, here's the link down here. Apparently, according to this, Canada's greenhouse gas emissions currently represent 1.6% of the global total. So this is all their global greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide, methane, uh, nitrous oxide, something like that. So let's run some numbers. Let's say that Canada's 1.6%, that's 1.6, And let's say that's 7% of the total greenhouse gas emissions. So that's a 0.07. And we multiply that by, let's say they want to cut it by half by 2030. Okay. That means that we get a number that looks like this, which means if Canada successfully cuts half their fertilizer use, they will dent climate change emissions by 0.056 percent. <laughs> 0.056% reminds me of the survival of something. Survival factor. I can't say what. Not anymore. Come by Pete Prosperity if you want to hear the rest of what I really think about things. But really we're gonna we're gonna risk putting farmers out of business. We're gonna risk alienating them. We're gonna risk convinc talking to the farmers as if they're going to get the message that they don't matter, that we don't care about them, whatever the we is in the story from the government side. We're going to do all of that in order to be able to trim global climate change emissions by 0.056%. Hmm. 
Well, let's take another look. Let's just some context in here. So in terms of the overall contribution, at least according to the United States, that's a very flat trend. Not a lot from 1990 to current, the United States has been releasing about the same amount of nitrous oxide. Now, I don't know if that's true for Canada as well, but I just thought, here's some data I had. So this isn't screaming super emergency, but this has been kind of how it's been for decades, decades and decades. Um, in fact, in the United States, carbon dioxide emissions also kind of flat over time. This is uh, total metric tons, millions of metric tons. So, okay. But uh, CO2 is definitely going up a lot. And I'm wondering who could be responsible for that? Who could be responsible for that? Hmm. Hmm. On the left, way over there, China. Look at the growth in China. It's just extraordinary. Then the United States kind of hanging flat over time. Uh, India, India coming way up. Look at that, right? And then Germany, then Mexico, then Australia, then Canada, way over there on the side. And if Canada does what it says it's going to do, those little sets of bars take us out to their 2030 targets is that bright green on the far, far side over there. That's what Canada has decided is important that it risks its farming and farming community for is to achieve that set of bars over there on the right side. When, hear me out, you could also potentially come forward and maybe criticize China just a tiny bit here or have a word or two about India or maybe talk about private jets. Justin Trudeau is dead silent on all of those things. In the case of the dog that did not bark, in Sherlock Holmes, there's something wrong with what Justin Trudeau is not saying in this story. I hear what he's saying. We have to put, we have to bring the hammer down on farmers, right? Okay, farmers in Canada, listen up. This is it. You watch what happened to your truckers up there. This is it. You can't give in on this thing. Like this has not, this is not obviously by the numbers. Justin Trudeau isn't doing this to save 0.056% of global greenhouse gas emissions when China's slathering on like 5% more every year. It does, no, it's not what it's about. It's about something else. This is what we increasingly have to talk about. This is what I am talking about back over at Peak Prosperity because this is now enemy action. We have to face up to this. It's time to admit the worst to ourselves. If you want to come in and find out about that, this is going to be members only. There's a lot of stuff I no longer can talk about in private because obviously I got a set of spotlights on this channel. I hope I didn't push the bar too far today, but if I did, hey, you can always find me over at Peak Prosperity. It's all this climate emergency thing. Something is not quite adding up. We have to talk about it. Biden's climate emergency. How did we move from climate change to crickets to cannibalism? I don't know, but let's start here. Look at this. President Biden in the United States, he's crowing about the reduction in gasoline prices. You know what happens when you reduce the price of something like gasoline? People use more of it. That's what he wants. He wants people to be happy. He doesn't like the political pressure. So here he is taking full credit saying, hey, Putin caused the prices to go up, but I'm proud to say gas prices have declined by an average of 60 cents a gallon over the past 38 days. Okay, that's what he's doing. But he's also saying this, when it comes to fighting climate change, I won't take no for an answer. In the coming weeks, I will use the powers I have as president to turn promises into formal, official government actions. I will do everything in my power to win the clean energy future. Whoa, okay, so how do you square that circle? How do you say, hey, on the one hand, I'm pretty happy that uh, I made gasoline prices come down so you can consume more of that. On the other hand, I want to be clear that 
I'm going to use my official bully pulpit as the president to enforce some climate action stuff over here. Maybe not unlike what Mark Rutte of Holland and Justin Trudeau have done, where the first place they decided to start with their executive powers was farmers. Go figure. All right. So this is incoherent messaging. And by the way, um, is this really an emergency? We got to talk about this. Is, does this really qualify as an emergency? So these are just some headlines. I didn't clip. I mean, I didn't sort them in any way. This is just what showed up when I searched for Biden climate emergency. Bang. Biden could declare climate emergency, according to John Kerry. Activists protest at White House chief of staff's house pushing for climate emergency. So the activists are, are there now. I guess they're all done with the Supreme Court for the moment. And at the Hill reporting that 60 House lawmakers urge Biden to declare national climate emergency. Whoa, OK. Uh, sounds like an emergency. So the president can declare an emergency and use emergency powers. Well, that's a little weird, isn't it? Because one definition of an emergency is something unexpected that suddenly arose. How long has his climate emergency been, been with us? Years? Decades? It didn't suddenly emerge is what I'm saying. Here, I think Doomberg, and if you have, don't subscribe to Doomberg, I do over on Substack. There's the link down below. Wonderful, wonderful writer. I love the way Doomberg goes about it because what he does is every time I learn something. And in this case, I, I love this framing right here. He wrote, a glaring example of such behavior is the executive branch of the United States government's ongoing redefinition of the word emergency, a bipartisan indulgence spanning decades that has disproportionately shifted power away from Congress and the courts toward the sprawling administrative state overseen by the executive branch. Don't like how the political winds are blowing? Declare an emergency. Assert the associated powers and dictate your desired outcomes by decree. That's what's happening here. It's, you know, it's, it's a little tricky, it's a little bit tight in terms of the balance of power in the Senate and Congress. Uh, making our argument is kind of tricky, so we'd have to like convince people. We might have to do some actual horse trading and have some actual political back and forth. We might even, horrifyingly, uh, most horrifyingly of all, we might even have to listen to what the other side thinks, right? Unacceptable. So, um, <laughs> in fact, the concept of a political leader who possesses absolute power originated as the title of a Roman dictator elected by the Roman Senate to rule the Republic in times of emergency by diktat, right? Note both the close association of the words dictator and emergency and the semantic shift in the meaning of dictator over time. It has far more negative connotation today for good reason Contrived emergencies have long served as a useful tool to illegitimately concentrate political power. Hmm. Reminds me of a pandemic we went through recently. It is with this backdrop in mind that we read with considerable interest about U.S. President Joe Biden's apparent readiness to declare a climate emergency, thereby granting himself the authority to do by diktat that which he could not achieve using normal political methods with its back against the wall heading into midterm elections. The administration seems desperate to be seen as doing something on climate potential damage to the constitutional order of the country, notwithstanding. Hmm. This seems to be almost like a theme that's going on uh, around the world in Holland, in Canada, here in the United States, by the way, as a part of this overall larger climate emergency, I will remind you that in November of 2016, come on here, let's look at this real quick. See this? See when this came out? Most people aren't aware of this. 
this video, which starts famously with, with number one down here, which is that you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Everybody's familiar with number one. Number eight is Western values will be tested to the breaking point. There were only eight of these sort of predictions made here in 2016 by the World Economic Forum. Number four was you'll eat much less meat. An occasional treat, not a staple, for the good of the environment and our health. What do you mean our health? <laughs> it's a little inclusive. Uh, really? Our health? I'm part of the WF Davos crowd now? No? Oh, I didn't think so. So, but this thing, I just want to point out, this was sort of wrapped up in the context of the whole overall global Great Reset and everything. And they said here in 2016 that by 2030, you'll eat much less meat. And what's weird about that is that with all the things going on in the world, with all of the various crises, with, I don't know, um, everything that's been going on in Ukraine, in all of North Africa, in watching various crises er erupt all over the world, that this would be the time that the Pope would get himself out of his chair and tell young people, not all people, young people, eating meat is part of a self-destructive trend. What? <laughs> okay. I, I might not be caught up in, on um, all of my uh, religious aspects as much as I should be, but I'm not, this feels like the Pope is, um, well, reaching, reaching here for something. And it's kind of weird in particular because of all the other context that this comes in. So it wasn't just the Pope, right? It's, it includes these people right here. So uh, Time, just writing recently, they're healthy, they're sustainable. So why don't humans eat more bugs? BBC, sustainability on a shoestring in the food section. <laughs> Could grasshoppers really replace beef? Question mark. Uh, we're just surrounded by these sorts of stories now, just surrounded. If we wanted to save the planet, if we want to save the planet, the future of food is insects. Get the message yet? How about this? Uh, food tank, the think tank for food also in their sustainable agriculture. Isn't this weird how sustainable agriculture suddenly became about eating grasshoppers or something? Two billion people eat insects, and you can too. Um, so just trying to normalize all this. So this is one of the crazy things that's been going on throughout this whole cycle, is watching lots and lots of things get normalized over and over and over again that are really weird, really, really edgy, really pushy things that really transcend a lot of cultural boundaries, but they fundamentally say... We're going to race into this brand new future, which is going to include eating bugs. Now, here's how this works out. Humans, when long time ago, we had this megafauna kicking around. We, we could hunt giant mastodons and sloths and huge bears and other things like that. And then we kind of ate through all those. And next thing you know, well, there were still bison, deer, so we were hunting all those. Next thing you know, well, we moved to cows. And then now we want to move to insects. So you can see we're moving down this food chain pretty aggressively as a species. By the way, it's kind of a warning sign when you're moving down to like eating krill out of the ocean and eating bugs, okay? Maybe we should have a conversation about where are we going in this story and is this really where we want to go before we race to just normalize all this stuff. I'm really, this is a little bit, you should be taking some very important messages from the absolute quantity of this kind of messaging. I, I just barely Googled for like 10 seconds and I came up with these 
these headlines right here, right? These are just these are just everywhere we can go and 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 look. So this is just weird stuff, right? And by the way, I don't know that anybody would ever sort of promote eating a live grasshopper. I, I think that you'd want to, I don't know, batter it or deep fry it or something, whatever. But as weird as this is, there's been another trend that's just popped out that just, just, just jumps the shark, goes just one further, which is this. So the New York Times on July 23rd, now I realize this is a review of books and all of that other stuff, but they decided that the way they were going to characterize this sort of review of this rise of cannibalism as a subject that they could find in movies and books and things like that, they wrote, cannibalism has a time and a place. Some recent books, films, and shows suggest that the time is now. Can you stomach it? What do you mean cannibalism has a time and place? <laughs> Which, I must have fallen asleep for this part of the episode. I didn't realize we were already at that part of the story where it's that time or that place. I don't understand what's going on here. But this attempt to normalize this stuff, maybe this is just tongue-in-cheek. Okay, okay, all right. It's, it's, just, it's just the New York Times. It's just the New York Times. But, I mean, to go from crickets to cannibalism, boy, that escalated quickly. Yeah, so it's from Anchorman. Uh, but, whoa, hold on, 2020, uh, the Fox News reported, grow your own human steaks meal kit is not technically cannibalism, makers say. I was unaware people were already working on this as a technology. I did not know this. Uh, so that's happening. Um, not to be outdone, Swedish scientist advocates eating humans to combat climate change there. Now we got just straight to it. Just connected the whole thing. Came all the way back home to the beginning of the conversation. It's a climate emergency. So we have some scientist who says, acknowledges the many taboos this idea would have to overcome. There you have it. This is just uh, as strange as it ever gets. And uh, somehow it's all coming back around. So you need to be aware, though, that this is what's happening in a climate emergency if it's, pro if it's promoted or put forth by Biden here in the United States, but more generally around Europe, it has nothing to do with climate change. If it did, the people promoting these things wouldn't be flying private jets, would be talking about the mega mansions that they and all their friends own, would talk about, I don't know, the yachts that are four, five, 600 feet that these billionaires are driving around. Until and unless you hear the same billionaires who are talking about the need for climate change actions, including eating bugs, stopping the farmers from farming and other things like that. Until we see that, until we see them dial back their own consumption so that they lead by example, this is all just nonsense. And I invite you to ignore it and ignore it completely. But at any rate, that's where we're at. Remember, all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed or ignored. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it's accepted as being self-evident. I really hope we don't get to the self-evident stage of eating bugs. Uh, hopefully we can like get through this uh, violent opposition stage because to me it's not truth that we have to accept this inevitability of moving towards this pathway of being going from beef to crickets to cannibalism. I don't buy it. You shouldn't buy it either. This is nonsense. I don't think this has anything to do with the stated reasons. In fact, I think this is... What I'm going to be talking about next, the stuff I can only say privately, I'm going to be saying it for my subscribers. This is enemy action. We have to talk about this very seriously. The community needs a little privacy to talk about this. So that's what we're going to do over at Peak Prosperity. 
behind our paywall, we will continue this conversation. Thank you very much for listening. Hope to see you over there. Otherwise, I'll see you back on this channel next time. Bye.